Today's episode of What's Tech is brought to you by Igloo. Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like. With Igloo, you don't have to be stuck at your desk to do your work. You can manage your task list from your laptop during a meeting, quickly update your team on the progress of the most recent project from your phone, and access the latest version of a file from home. And who doesn't like to work in their pajamas? Everything is now mobile. Work should be too. Never email yourself a file again. Get your free trial today at igloosoftware.com slash tech. That's igloosoftware.com slash tech. So I tell this story a lot, and it sort of um, demonstrates exactly the desperation of a certain a certain period of time that might be ending as far as the profession of a TV recapper goes. I was uh, in between apartments, um, one might say of a certain flavor of, of homeless. I was living on my friend's couch um, in Los Angeles, and I was, at the time, Unemployed, but freelancing for the AV Club and writing recaps of um, a few different shows, one of which was uh, The X Factor, the singing competition show that's just no longer um, on Fox. R.I.P. Yeah, but I had to I had to watch the show every week because it was a part of my job. It was how I made my money. And so um, without a bed or even a room in my friend's apartment, I bought cable for the apartment um, and agreed to pay for it all for myself so that I could come and sit down on the couch that was also my bed and watch The X Factor. It's always sunny in Philadelphia or any of the shows that I happened to be covering at the time. And my roommates were kind of perplexed by it because they weren't in the same uh, bubble, I guess, that I was in as far as uh, needing to watch TV live and feeling like... Well, one, it was my one, it was my livelihood, but two, it was just something that I cared deeply about at the time was being a TV viewer and writer and being an authority on things and being able to live tweet about shows. And you're kind, there's that still sort of exists to a certain degree today, but I think with uh, a lot more shows being streaming and a lot more shows not being live, that's kind of slowly going away as far as our notion of what TV is and how we watch it. I I'm, I I I will do this off of the podcast, but this reminds me. Uh, I too had a time where I was write, writing uh, television recaps of the later seasons of The Office at Vulture, and, and one night I got a very special email from a very high up person on that show, uh, emailing me drunkenly from a hotel room about all the things I just don't understand. Oh man, who was it? Juicy details next oh, time on What's Tech. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to What's Tech, a podcast on TheVerge.com. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. I am your humble host. I am joined today by my dear friend, my colleague, Emily Oshida, the entertainment editor at our website, and we are talking about television. In the past, we've done an episode about internet television, and at first, when uh, Emily mentioned that she wanted to do this topic, I thought there would be some overlap, but the more I looked into it, the more I realized, oh, dear God, television, what a wonderful, uh, I don't know, um, structure fire, maybe? (laughs) 
<laughs> to, to 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 just take a look at and watch as it burns. It's complicated. Um, it say. really it really is. I've read a lot of Wikipedia entries about something that I thought I had a pretty good handle on, and it turns out I don't at all. But I'm oh, gonna try well, my best. <laughs> That's perfect. Let's let's start from the very top. Um, television. I know some listeners haven't heard of it, so won't you explain what it is? Television, in the broadest, most abstract term, uh, as we can, well, we can start from the abstractness or the original Let's invention start of really tele- abstract, and then, we'll, and then we'll go down. Okay, yeah. so television to us now is just a delivery mechanism for content. It, and that comes in the form of what we call shows. So uh, right now we're seeing a huge boom of scripted shows, which has always been, um, at least at least uh, from about the 50s on, a really big part of what we consider to be television. News and sports are kind of the other parts of that triangle that really form- formulate what we think of as what we watch on television. Um, but scripted television, in maybe this is, I would I would posit that this is why it is seeing the boom, that it is having right now is that it does not rely on being live. And as we all know, everybody wants to have everything on demand now. And uh, on-demand news in a television format doesn't work quite as well as on-demand The Walking Dead. So that's that's what television is. Okay, now we're, we're rewinding. We, we live in the era of DVR. We are going pre-DVR. Uh-huh. The earliest days of television. What's a man, pre-DVR? I know, I know. <laughs> Picture this. A man, it's like, uh, the, he's listening to the radio, and he goes outside, and he's, he's uh, cutting his crops, and he says, <laughs> look, I've created lines in the crops. What if uh, these lines were little pixels, and color hit them, uh, uh, and and then he invented TV. Is that true? Is that how TV was invented? Oh yeah, it was invented on a farm, just like the rest of America. Ah, God bless it. <laughs> uh, well, TV was actually what we think of as being TV now, or or what, what resembles TV, really started to to be mainstream uh, post World War II. There are really early examples of television um, uh, itself being experimented with as as early as the late eighteen hundreds. Um, and at that time, television was a uh, it, it, it's 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 hard to describe. It's, it was basically like a, a, a spinning scanner of these different bands of light that you could uh, transmit live. Uh, I, there is a name for it, which I'm totally blanking on right now. But uh, so it was basically a way to kind of take through an actual tube, which is why it's called the tube, uh, an image, a live image. Um, or transmit it. And uh, it was all black and white, of course, at first, and then color TV started to emerge in the 60s. And uh, and television really kind of blew up in the 50s, though. That's when, uh, you know, you, you kind of can imagine the classic Getty Images photo of a family in their 1950s living room sitting around and, and watching that, e- that evening's news. Um, and the fun thing about TV then, and I think this was a thing until the 70s is that it ended. There was an end of TV. At night, uh, the screen would go to a, a you know a holding pattern or whatever, and, uh, and then there was no more TV. You had to go to bed or find something else to do. And as we all know, of course, now, there's uh, it's, it's actually harder to find a place or time where you cannot watch some form of television. So I, I learned about this idea of television ending from Ren and Stimpy. Uh-huh. Because whenever they watch TV, it would be late at night, and then it would end, and then uh, a uh, a Native American's head would appear 
on scr- on the screen mm-hmm. and a loud beeping noise <laughs> and that was that was that was i guess what the end of tv was yeah yeah and i mean in a way a lot of on a lot of channels this still exists except it, the screen doesn't go to a a blank screen or just say you know there's no more transmission there are there's a, a paid television paid programming uh so a lot of times on one of the hundreds of cable channels you might have you tune in at three in the morning and somebody's telling you about some kind of toaster uh, uh convection oven or device or something so the, the there is a an end to what we consider prime time programming for sure and that that's usually about when the late night stuff shows up which is when we're used to seeing a lot of talk shows and variety shows and that sort of thing but um but tv still goes on and on and on okay you mentioned cable we're gonna walk through all of these kind of i guess touchstones of of the medium uh what is cable or or more appropriately what what are kind of the origins of cable as an idea so cable is basically basically a way to transmit radio signals uh through a cable uh essentially as opposed to over the air through uh, an antenna. And this was at first a way to get TV to areas that could not receive signals via antenna, so places in a valley or places far removed from a, uh, a local radio st- or a local TV station, rather. Um, and then cable started to become the dominant form of TV as far as how much, how many stations were on it, how much content was produced for, for it um, in the 1980s, really. And uh, that's when you started to see these different tiers emerge when you would uh, subscribe to cable. So you're essentially getting all of the cable programming on your cable, but uh, it's scrambled unless you have subscribed to these different tiers, uh, which still exist for most cable companies now, but might be uh, might be not long for this world. I, I hesitate to even bring this up because it's not HT, it's, it's, it's not TV, it's HBO. Right. Um, but <laughs> how how do channels like HBO and Showtime fit into this? Are they are they basically cable? Just they broker deals to be more expensive and to make them more money? Yeah, or it's just another that's... tier of of uh, descrambling, basically. Uh, and and with digital, that's you know its own. I mean, I, I'm using kind of old 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 terms for it. Everybody knows about descrambling from you know, I guess trying to sneak some peeks of something naughty on, on <laughs> not descrambled Cinemax. Um, How sad is it that actually probably anyone, maybe even like two years younger than us, doesn't yeah. know what the hell we're talking oh, about? Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't even have any personal experience with that, but that's just something you hear about, I think, from people, yeah, probably a little slightly older than us. It's uh, I, uh, I will not lie. That was being a six-year-old boy in the Midwest. All of my friends, at least once, told me that they had they had <laughs> cracked the code that that at the right time of the day you could you could see everything if you knew which which channel to tr- literally hand crank your old tv to and thus was born a lifelong interest in uh electronics and <laughs> <laughs> oh, technology God. i think you're gonna say scrambled pornography also scrambled <laughs> pornography um yeah, but I mean, pay, pay pay cable is 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 just another another level of that. And there's also you know there's satellite TV as well. Um, I had Direct TV in Los Angeles, which was um, 
you know, it, it, so I just had, I had a dish outside of my apartment and that's how I received my cable as opposed to through a, a buried cable running through the dried up husk of Southern California. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, uh, so pay cable, pay cable was mostly, so we were talking about HBO and Cinemax and, and then stars and encore and these different channels were mostly for movies um, and live events, boxing, that sort of thing. And then uh, around the late 90s, things sort of started to take a switch. But we can talk about that later if we want. Well, uh, first, I mean, how how did television change with each of these things? Because you're get, you have a lot more channels, naturally. Yes. So you have to fill them with things. I Was TV as... We know it now, not the same as network TV, you know, before all this. And, and did the advent of premium channels uh, kind of change it in any serious way? I don't really know the 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 FCC layer as far as how, why there's not a limit on how many cable channels there can be. But as far as I can tell, if you have the money to do so have the, and, and the, the means to start a network, you can do that. Um, which is why there are so many. I mean, you know, we think of cable cable TV as like, oh yeah, uh, FX and uh, Bravo and all these you know cable channels that most people are familiar with. But there are so many other things you get, even on a pretty basic cable channel like Ion or uh, I don't even know, like stuff you've never even heard of that's just there. Um, and that stuff gets money by being included in a subscription. It's getting a part of your subscription cost um, because it's a part of this bundle. Um, okay, let, let's talk about internet television and what the hell it is. We, we have an entire episode about this, so we'll, we'll keep it brief. But is it fair to say basically internet TV at this point is just TV? Like, they're, they're more or less one and the same in terms of content? Well, culturally, yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about sites like Netflix or Hulu, and, and sites, I, I, I use that kind of uh, disingenuously, Uh as as platforms they are mostly just content platforms they are like websites in that way uh so you know you will get certain things if you have a if you go to netflix um just the same way that you can go to the verge and read some writers that are only on the verge um it's sort of a similar model as that and it's not it's not time sensitive you can go and and watch those shows or read those articles whenever you want um so i mean Internet TV is is TV in the cultural sense in the same way that uh, a film today is not really a film, but we call it a film because it looks like a movie. Um, it's not actually on film most of the time anymore. Um, so it's, yeah, it's mostly just a vestige of this uh, this notion that we have of, of some kind of programming in a, in a half an hour or an hour long uh, increment usually that you can watch and there's a series of it you you mentioned something uh in the late 90s are you are you referring to the internet or what what were you referring to there oh just the 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 rise of uh of the premium can the premium cable television show and really what kind of spurred this whole now probably most people would agree over uh golden second golden age of television the first golden age being in the 50s um with all of the old classics that comes that people think of um that kind of changed and sort of paved the way for all of these streaming shows and this huge glut of 
um, scripted shows that we're seeing now and all all of these, uh, you know, scare quotes, good TV shows that people feel like they need to keep up with in order to feel like they're a part of a television conversation. I mean, you mentioned how there are just so many channels now and it, practically anyone, if they have the money, can create their own network. And then on top of that, we have all these apps. There is a quote from not the upfronts, whatever the big get together oh, it was is. The Television Critics Association. Yeah, that FX the CEO said that there is simply too much television. Is is one? Is this really a problem uh, outside of being a problem for the people who make TV uh, and recap and, TV? <laughs> and, and, yeah, and and if so, how are people even dealing with it as the idea of it being a problem? I don't think it's a problem for the viewer. Uh, if anything, the more different kinds of shows that can be on television, the better it is for the viewer. I think um, uh, I forget who. Oh, oh, the uh, one of the VPs of, at, at Lifetime, uh, which has had some recent hits that are kind of uh, outside of the box of what you know you classically think of as Lifetime programming. Like Unreal was a, a pretty big critical hit from this summer. Um, you know, she, her counterpoint was that you know this. Now that there is so much money going into all of this original programming, it makes the opportunity for a lot more different kinds of shows. So we're not stuck with these same sort of difficult men, anti-hero shows that defined a lot of the programming in the aughts. Um, you have stuff like Orange is the New Black and uh, and Scandal and Empire and stuff like that. Um, and so that that's definitely a plus for the viewer, I would say. Um, for somebody who feels like it's their role to keep up with TV and know about it and have an all-encompassing knowledge of it. Yes, that's a problem, but I would maybe suggest a different emphasis on your interest if that's really what you because it's I feel like it's going to keep I feel like there are going to keep being more programs and it's going to be harder and harder to keep up uh before it's going to uh, calm down again. Does this change the way you do your job in terms of how you communicate what is available or what's interesting or just criticize uh, with that much stuff to dig through? Yeah, I mean, for a while, covering shows, I mean, a a site could get away with covering, you know, 10 shows, the the 10 big shows uh, that were on then. So, you know, a, a site would cover... Breaking Bad or Mad Men or Justified or something like that. Um, And now you have to be a little bit more discerning. There are still sites like Vulture that uh, really make a lot of their their clicks off of these recaps and an AV club as well. Um, But, you know, I think other sites are finding that they're they're having to be a little more discerning and, and choose shows that they that they value and think are interesting to write about and also shows that their audience is is interested in um do do uh, this is like always a weird question because covering video games i especially with the iphone Mm -hmm. uh one of the things that people always seemed to basically tell me to do was be a curator because it was understood, well, Apple, in the case of the iPhone, wasn't going to help you find anything good. Uh-huh. Um, that they didn't care. They were going to make a ton of money no matter what. And now they've gotten a little better. But really, that, it's not their biggest problem by any means. And the result is this kind of curatorial expectation left on people who cover uh, that medium. Do you feel that? 
Or do you feel that in some ways that that's a portion of the role, but it's also not your job to essentially be marketing? Yeah, it's it's a slippery slope as far as the marketing stuff goes. I, I think um, I, I think definitely when you are a critic or an editor, you want to reward people who are doing good and who are making because there is so much stuff and so much of it is pre-derivative. The people who are doing something new and interesting, like, you know, I really liked Mr. Robot, as, as did most of the TV critics on the Internet. And, and you saw that the people not only liked the show and were had felt like they had a lot to say about it and write about it, but also that they wanted to support it and they wanted to have this, you know, kind of this vote out there that this is the kind of thing we'd like to see more of. And same with Unreal and other shows like that. Um, and Orange is the New Black. Uh, it's it's sort of I I I. F- we don't really do that much in, in, in terms of recapping or regular TV coverage at The Verge. And I I tend to go, I, I lean towards stuff that I feel like is interesting to write about. Uh, it's And if, if something's really good and you want to call attention to it, then you do that for sure. But uh, I find that there are a lot of shows like comedies, for instance, that I like that I enjoy, that I think can do some really good work and uh, aren't, don't necessarily lend themselves to a great piece or some killer content, as they say. I think a lot of times, I mean, a huge thing that came up out of, um, out of the big recap boom is that these sites are essentially um, barnacling onto these shows and in the same way, like you can see a distilled version of it in, um, the the John Oliver race every week uh, when a, every site basically tries to post the big main part of uh, of uh, last week tonight with John Oliver on HBO and uh, and just sort of get what they can as far as views out of this content that somebody else made. Um, so I mean, you can do that and you can um, you can be opportunistic in that way. Um, and still serve your audience. But I try to, I, I generally try to focus on things that are thought promo- thought provoking enough to write something really good about her or do a really good interview with somebody about. Um, and sometimes that doesn't 100% overlap with the stuff that I want to watch or advocate for. Do you think, for, for the average person, do you think there is any exhaustion with the abundance of choice? Or do you think a lot of the kerfluffle made over, especially narrative television, is kind of circulating amongst the same maybe million or so people? Uh, while the majority of people are going to be watching the same things on CBS that they've always been watching. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's That's sort of the funny thing about... TV is that what there are two conversations you can have about TV, which is all this hand wringing about all these quality shows and how there are too many of them and that you can't keep up with the zeitgeist or whatever your worry is about this situation. And then there's the fact that it, it, it accounts for not only a small part of the population, but also a small part of global viewing. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, CBS is uh, CBS was. I don't know if they are currently, but they were the biggest network by a wide margin for a long time, and that's off the back of shows like uh, Big Bang Theory and Two and a Half Men, and shows that don't even enter the conversation uh, when you're talking about most TV critics. Um, there's not going to be any new. I mean, I, Barring barring some some uh, abnormality, there's not going to be a huge uh, uh, think piece on 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 Big Bang Theory in the New Yorker anytime soon. But 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 Penny and Sheldon are getting married. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh well, we've talked about shipping before. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, there's two, and that's that's why I don't think that it's really a concern for the viewer at all because the viewer is going to want watch what they want to watch, and criticism can help to a certain degree to point people towards shows that they'll like that they might not other wise have discovered because the stuff that's the most easily accessible is right in front of them. Um, and you might have to go digging for something uh, on on USA or or even some of the shows on Hulu. Um, you know, I love the Hot Wives shows on Hulu that I and I don't really hear that many people talk about them other than people that I know that are into comedy. Um, and I have a feeling that there's probably a wider audience for those than they're currently getting. But but then um, audience is a whole other question because who knows how many so many of these <laughs> how many viewers so many of these streaming shows are getting. Let Let's talk about the future. Um, we are I don't know like five or ten years away from today. Uh, do, do people have cable? I, I assume that somehow Time Warner finds a way to keep me within its clutches, or are things moved onto the internet, or is the line just even further blurred? So that when you your cable box is equal parts traditional cable machine and internet machine. So there's a really big question that will stand to be answered soon. And as soon as as soon as uh, that decision is made, uh, a lot of it, it will determine a huge amount uh, about television and and really I think just about t- storytelling and story making in general, which is the question of um, unbundling cable. And this has been something that a lot of people have wanted for a while. Uh, One of the big holdouts for it is Disney because they own ESPN. And ESPN gets a ton of money from this bundling deal because it it comes on, you know, even uh, any basic cable subscriber gets ESPN and thus are paying a very large amount of of money for all those ESPN channels. And so if you are suddenly able to not... Uh, get ESPN if you don't want it and subscribe to the shows that you want a la carte, then it really changes the way that the money shakes out for that. Um, And that can be a really good thing. um, But I feel like we are probably the people who are optimistic about that uh, are probably overestimating the amount of people who are going to opt to individually subscribe to like the Sundance channel or IFC these smaller channels that are doing interesting work and um and a lot of the money that they get is from the bundling deal like you don't get a lot of those shows without this automatic money going into these smaller networks from the bundling so um you know right now it's sort of interesting because so many streaming channels and uh all these different online platforms platforms like Amazon and everything are functioning kind of kind of starting this whole system of unbundling on their own because 
you can subscribe individually to Amazon or to Hulu or to Netflix. Um, and it's sort of the anti-cable right now in that way. And it's very on demand. Um, but it's really easy to imagine five, ten years from now, somebody being like, hey, let's uh, let's let's give you a service that gives you Netflix and Amazon and Hulu all in one. And then you're back to cable again. So <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. I think. I think there could be some really, really interesting consequences if if traditional cable is unbundled. And I think it would mean a lot less shows. Um, and maybe that would be an easier thing than for all these people who are so worried about too many shows. But I think it would mean the loss of a lot of smaller, more interesting shows that still get made because of this current system. I'm just always tickled by the fact that one of the biggest proponents of unbundling uh, in Congress is John McCain. Like, really? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I will never fully wrap my head around uh, why it's a maverick move. I, I have no doubts. Um, <laughs> well, it's like his... I mean, unbundling is like it's very Republican, right? Like, there's no there's no public assistance. For... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a, right? that's a great point. I had never really put that together. But yeah, yeah, that works. <laughs> um, thank you for joining me on the podcast. For people who who don't know, which shame, shame, shame. on shame. You have another podcast on theverge.com. Do, would you like to give it a plug? I'll I'll plug it. Sure. This is a uh, you know we're we're unbundled at the, in the Verge Podcast Network, <laughs> so everybody's out for themselves. They're all free. Yeah, they're all free. <laughs> but everybody's left to their own devices. Uh, uh, to get their own subscribers. Uh, I host a podcast called Verge ESP. Um, it is not the Verge ESP podcast because that would be like saying ATM Mm-mm. machine. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, it, stand- it is the entertainment and science podcast, and I host it with Liz Lopato, our lovely science editor, and we talk about art and science and the intersection of the two. Um, and it is biweekly, so we'll be having an- our next episode out next week so if you like the big bang theory (laughs) let me tell you this show is for you hey america um yeah um thank you for uh doing this show with me today of course um thank you dear listener for for listening um you can find more of this stuff on theverge.com or you can find us on itunes that's a great place to leave a review of the show because when you do, it gets it out to more people. But as I always say, just recommend us to your parents or your cousins or your uh, aunts and uncles because they they would love to know about things like the bizarre history of television and what the FX CEO has to say about how there's just too much damn good stuff out there. Family members are trusted curators. They, they, you know, they really are. They're really the... Re- <laughs> They're the original recappers. <laughs> the original Republican unbundlers <laughs> on my Facebook feed. Um, and uh, I'd also like to thank our, our sponsor for today, Igloo. Igloo is an internet that you'll actually like. With Igloo, you don't have to be stuck at your desk to do your work. You can manage your task list from your laptop during a meeting. You can quickly update your team on the progress of the most recent project from your phone and access the latest version of a file from home. And you know what's at your home? Probably like uh, your cool pet or like a family member or something that's not your stinky old office. 
everything is now mobile, work should be too. Never email yourself a file again. That looks, it makes it look foolish and it fills up your inbox. Get your free trial today at igloosoftware.com slash tech. And we will see you next time. Goodbye.